Well, as Brandon said, my name is Jay Cross. They spelled my name wrong in the Hope Project brochure. I, <laughs> I go by J. Period Cross, not J A Y, but it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I won't stress about it. Um, <laughs> but like Brandon said, I am. Uh, Believing God that in the next year, by his will, we will launch in Randolph, Massachusetts. Um, we have been, my wife, my children, I've been married 18 years. We have four kids from 16 down to two. Pray my strength. That's all. That's all you have to do. I have a two-year-old that is running around my house, just terrorizing, <laughs> breaking things and getting into things and drinking things that he shouldn't. <laughs> running and he's got a bottle of Ajax. <laughs> Thanks, Papa. Uh, so, but you know, we, we have to monitor him constantly. Uh, and then the other, the 16 year old is asking for the keys to the car, you know, all in between. We got a nice spread bookends. We got boy, two girls, and then another boy last. Um, me and my wife, Tiffany, again, 18 years. That's my best friend. Um, only, only person greater in my life than her is Jesus. Um, but I, I just appreciate what we have together. And so we believe God is going to use us to reach Randolph. Uh, Randolph is a small town, about 34,000 folks there, and a good majority, majority of them do not know Jesus. And so Captured Heart just wants to be a church on mission to go and make disciples and teach them everything that Jesus has taught us that they might know who Jesus is and come to a life of full surrender. That's all we want to do in Randolph. Amen. Amen. You might hear me say amen a couple of times while I'm up here. I'm that guy. I'm that amen guy. And if you say it back, it just means you agree with me. Amen. amen. There we go. All right, church. All right. We're here this morning. So we, we, we're in this series, uh, Grace, called The Line. Uh, and it's talking about moving from captivity to freedom, right? So have you ever had a moment in your own life where you, you everything just changed for you? Like it just happened, right? So I look back over my own story, right, and, and of my life, and, I, and I've had many moments where uh, the totality of my humanity really just shifted, right? Like marriage, children, degrees, home ownership, and, and of course, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life. But while I don't want to downgrade the magnitude of all of these moments, I don't believe any of these moments would have actually happened if it weren't for one specific moment that was an antecedent to the rest of these life changing moments. If you'll give me a little space to be transparent, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me before I encountered Christ. All right. Don't get scared. Okay. You ready? So yes, I was a gang member. Uh-huh. I was a drug dealer. I was an underage alcoholic. I was a marijuana smoker. I was promiscuous. I was expelled twice my senior year of high school. I had skills at being bad. Huh? 
Jay Cross was a bad boy. And, and I don't know if this bad boy would be standing here if not for a small moment of clarity where a voice in my head said, you can do better. Now, like I said, I smoked weed. So I thought I was just high. And, and, and so I, I, when I woke up the next morning, I heard the voice again, you can do better. And, and I didn't really know what that meant because all I had as, as what my life could be was what I was living. Uh, but, but I knew that the life I was living had two possible outcomes, and that was death or jail. So while I didn't know what doing better actually meant, what I did know was anything was better than the life that I was living. Right. So so I knew that anything different would be a better outcome. So what happened from there after finally engaging the voice and actually beginning to believe that I could do better? I left my gang. I broke up with a girlfriend. I laid off the alcohol and I eventually walked into a church and accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. And 21 years later, I know that that is the epitome of doing better. Now, now you might not have the same story as me. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're thinking, ha, that's all you did. You got nothing on me. Don't worry. Like, I'm not trying to win the competition for humanity's greatest sinner, right? Like, I just know that God called me out of that place and it was a little unsettling for me, right? Because change can be very difficult to embrace. However, when I began to embrace the vision of what a better version of me could be, my nerves settled and I grew a little bit more excited about the potential of what my life could be. Now, again, there are moments that change all of our lives. High school, graduations, wedding dates, some of you a little bit older, grandbabies. Oh my goodness, I went from having time on my hand to just adoring this precious little thingy. And it's six months old and has a tablet. <laughs> like, it's crazy, right? They, <laughs> two-year-olds walking around on cell phones. Yeah, let me call you back. I got a diaper changing. It's just, it's, it's crazy, right? Christmas lift, they've changed. When I was a kid, we had Globe Santa, right? Everything come in this box full of games and toys and prizes. Like the Apple store is the longest line on Christmas now, right? Your kids walk up to you with the list that costs the mortgage payment. We're going to have to narrow some things down. I can't get you the Tesla and... I get you the old Apple phone, right? Like, it's, it's crazy. Things have changed. Um, but we've had all of these moments that change us, and they, they move us into new phases of our lives. But the Bible points to one moment that functions as the singular moment or the pivotal moment for all of humanity, and that is the birth of Jesus. The Bible starts with God creating everything, and God called it good. Uh, this goodness was a reflection of his own goodness. See, when God created humanity, he knew it was good because he is good, right? And so he creates humanity and he gave 
human beings of freedom. He said, in your freedom, I want us to be in this beautiful relationship. I want us to walk in in, in community together. I'm going to put you in this nice garden and you're going to have everything. Look around you. It's all yours. All you got to do is just not touch the tree. Did you have to say the tree, God? Isn't that like us? We walk into a room and we see and they're like, you can have everything in here. Just don't touch that. <laughs> Automatically, we're like, what? what about that? <laughs> Itchy, right? But they, 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 God said, no, no, I'm telling you, my love is better, right? But God had to give them a place to choose because if he didn't give them a place to choose, it wouldn't be love. Right. It's like when I proposed to my wife, like if she had to say yes, it wouldn't be love. Right. Now, she had to say yes, because I mean, I'm me. Why would she say no? She's not crazy. <laughs> OK, so but 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 she didn't have to say yes. Because attaching her life to me for the rest of her life, I'm a broken human being. That's a risky move. That's a risky move. Saying I'm going to commit to you for the rest of my life from here on out. I mean, the more I say it out loud, the crazier it sounds. I'm going to be with you forever. No, no. When I say forever, I mean like forever. Think about that. Is it crazy? Y'all gonna go have conversations with your spouses later. Were we were we crazy? No, but but we made it, you know, 20 years later, we're still doing our thing and God is still good. But he gave them a choice and giving them people as people a choice. He drew a line in the sand. Now, the line represents a choice to choose his standard over our own. Uh, and, and spirit between goodness and sin. So that line is a line between goodness and sin. And we know that sin is disobedience to God and selfishness towards others. Once Adam and Eve disobey God, they crossed that line. And everyone born after them became enslaved to the choice that Adam and Eve made because we were now going to be uh, human beings born in the same line of disobedient human beings. And so we are born on the opposite side of that line already. God's standard over there, our standard over here. Right. In the early church and, and, and God along the way. Right. Along that way, after the sin occurs, God provides these temporary opportunities for human beings to be back in right standards, which we call sacrifices. You you know, every time we talk about the Old Testament, we talk about the bulls and the rams and the goats. Right. No, nobody ever heard it. OK, I just. I didn't know if I was by myself. Yeah, I was like, bull, there was goats and rams and stuff in the Old Testament. No, but but they use those as sacrifices to to try to mend the relationship between humans and God. And so but those things were all always temporary until Jesus came along to be the ultimate sacrifice. The early church leader, Peter, puts it this way in Acts 3, 24 through 26. 
He says, starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to the people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Jesus was the fulfillment of what the prophets had talked about and was the final and complete bridge between man and God. Jesus talked about his role this way. He said in Matthew 5, 17, he said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. The Christmas season is really about moving from the captive side of living into the freedom side of life by committing to living a life by Jesus that allows us to escape the old life of captivity and the sin nature. And it's about crossing over that line that keeps us separated from God's love for us. So here we go. Let me give you a definition of what captivity looks like. Captivity is a commitment to living a life enslaved to disobedience towards God's will. It's really a refusal to surrender. I think we like to believe that if we were free to make our own choices, we'd be very happy, right? If God just said to us, look, do whatever you want. It's all good. We feel like we would be happy if life was like that, but I don't believe that's the case. The reason that we have laws is because it guards us against our worst nature. The reason we create boundaries for our kids, what they eat, how late they can stay up, how many hours of screen time they can have, is to protect them from the harm that we know this will do to their freedom and their potential, huh? Kids, it's never enough, right? A kid can sit still in front of a tablet, a phone. I walk up to my daughter sometimes, my seven-year-old, and I go, which one are you watching? Uh, she's got a tablet in her hand. The TV's on a different show, and she's listening for what's happening in the other room. And she, I'm like, what, what, like, which one is getting your attention? And when we say turn it all off, she's like, can I just have five more minutes? Like, it's, it's never enough, right? As human beings, the more freedom we have, it's funny that I'm just getting the revelation of it. The more freedom we have in our sin nature, the deeper we dive into it, the more freedom we have in Christ, the more we resist it. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Like, God's like, there's so much more freedom in me, and we resist that. But for our sin nature, we chase it down. Just something to think about. That one was for free. You got to pay me for the rest. Uh, we, we like to believe that we really do good with it, but really, you know, we, we have to put limits on it, right? We have to put limits on how much freedom we have because we can go crazy. We tend to look at religion as a restrictor, right, of freedom when God's intention in giving us those boundaries is for human, like humanity, just like you as a parent, is to give us boundaries to keep us from going off into places that are going to hurt us. The real captivity is being addicted or stuck in the very things that God desires us to be free from. After God had rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, they quickly forgot 
They got out there in the wilderness. They're watching Red Seas part. They're watching food come out of nowhere, fire and clouds. And then they see the Egyptians coming in Exodus 14. And as it says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked and they were in panic when they saw the Israelite, the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out. I'm a paraphrasing right here. Moses, why you do this, man? Why, why you set us up to die? We, we, there was enough graves in Egypt, huh? There was enough graves in Egypt for us to die there. Better to be, better to die in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness because at least we might have a nice funeral procession if we was in Egypt. Like they are, they're so caught up in this thing. They've forgotten the promise that God had given them. The Bible makes it clear that without a connection to God, the spiritual state of of all people is captivity to sin. We go back to what we know or we remain in the place that we know until we have an encounter with something that changes us so deeply that it moves us to shift in a different direction. Just like me, when I had my moment, it was an encounter with Christ that shifted the direction of my life because all I knew was what I knew until I had an encounter with something different. But the second that something different lost a little bit of interest, I was ready to go back like a dog to his vomit. Hello? Nobody knows that life. Okay. I know y'all been saved all along. Ain't never turned around and backslid and said, let me go back to my old life. You just been a good little Christian person. I get it. I know. That ain't me. That ain't me. I struggled and still do to this day. Amen. Amen. It's hard. It's hard. Oh, but God is better. Amen. Amen. The Bible makes it clear that without a connection, God the spiritual safe for all people's captivity is sin. Romans 3.23 says this, for everyone is sin and we all fall short of the glorious standard. John 8.34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who, who, is, who sins is a slave to sin. Look, just like the Israelites desire to go back to Egypt, even though they were slaves there, we all are slaves to sin. And on our own, we will always go back to it. Without Jesus's birth, we be stuck in captivity and slaves to sin, unable to understand that God wants something far better for us, to return us to good, to return us to life, to return us to him. Without the Christmas story, we'd be left to settle for whatever lesser level of good we'd attain on our own. It's like if you lived your whole life in debt, and someone comes along and they're like, hey, huh, you've been in debt your whole life. I'm going to pay everything off. Right. You're like, yeah, go ahead. Pay them student loans. Pay this mortgage off. Get the bill collector off my phone. Pay this car. Everything. What do you think we would immediately do as soon as that debt was paid off? You better believe it. Well, since we back at zero. Might as well run it up again. <laughs> we made it to zero. Oh, man. Let me get that too expensive car payment. Uh, let me upgrade the house right now. Oh, there goes that mortgage again. Like we just put ourselves back in it because it's what we're used to. Huh? We do what we are used to. And we have to get to the place where what we are used to is depending upon Jesus. 
We're shifting. We're shifting our humanity by submitting to surrender and allowing God to be what we constantly turn to until it becomes what we are used to. Amen. Come on. Uh, They come along and they pay those debts, but Jesus doesn't just do that to us. He don't just say, hey, man, your debt's paid. It's all good and just leave you there. Jesus then walks us through to getting better to breaking those habits. He don't just say cancel the debt. He said, your debt is canceled. Now let me show you how to stay debt free. Huh? Walks you through the process. Huh? That transition, that metamorphosis, that that overcoming of the old you to the new you. Anybody know what that feels like? Woo! They that wait on the Lord. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, God is so good. I have watched my life change constantly from a place of captivity to a place of freedom. And I never know when God is doing it, but he's always doing it, huh? Has God ever changed you in your car on the way to work? Anybody know what that feel like? I'm sorry if I'm yelling, I get excited. I get excited, I get excited. God was working on my life on the way here this morning. Oh my goodness, huh? I'm in my car and just in my spirit, I know God is at work and doing great things in my life because they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, huh? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good place to get excited about who God is. Amen. Galatians, it, but, but God has called us to be free. And Galatians 5.13 said, For you have been called to live a life of freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. See, as soon as we get free, we want to forget about everybody else. Huh? You know, get out of my life. I'm free now. <laughs> Leave me alone. (laughs) No, no, we got to use that love to reach, huh? Reach. Let God do a deep work in us so much so that it begins to impact those around us. Amen. When you're used to living a life of captivity, freedom can seem scary. Huh? So used to, that's what the Egypt, that's what the Israelites were saying. This is scary. You got us out here in the wilderness, man. They was whipping us and beating us and we was building stones and it was hot and we was thirsty and they was only giving us a little food, but we was used to it. Now you got us out here in the wilderness. What are you doing, Moses? Come on. It was scary to believe God. It's scary to shift what you're used to and move into a place where you don't understand everything. Come on, we human beings, we like to be in control. Hmm? No? All right. <laughs> what y'all think y'all be doing as spouses? I want control. No, I want control. I want control. No, I want control. I said I want control. That's all we're doing is going back. It's a dance. <laughs> but it's scary to lose control. But I know when I lose control in my marriage, it betters it. Huh? 
Okay, I won't, I won't hip y'all to how to make marriage work because it's still working, all right? Because I lost control in moments where I wanted to keep control, but I knew surrender and submission and letting my pride go would only make my marriage work out better. See, when I got used to stop being selfish and saying I'm going to be more selfless, it added more smiles to my wife's life, which lessened my headaches, Amen. Men in the building, don't do it if your wife's sitting next to you. Spiritual high fives. Spiritual high fives, brother. Listen. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So, yeah, whatever. Okay. So, when you're used to living a life of captivity, freedom is scary. The way many people cope with that, free that freedom is we create our own little safe cells out of religious purity and piety and, and, and possessions and accomplishments or popularity. As long as we, they meet our own idea of fulfillment, we feel free. What's crazy is that whatever we ruler we use to measure ends up becoming the very thing that holds us captive, right? If we measure our freedom by saying we have enough money to buy whatever we want, then we become enslaved to being able to buy whatever we want. If we measure our freedom by being able to say whatever we want to say, then we measure our freedom by being able to say whatever we want to say to whoever we want to. If we measure it by being able to do whatever we want to do, we end up becoming a slave to whatever we want to do, right? We see example of example of Jesus exposing these types of self-made spiritual prisons in the New Testament. Matthew 19, Jesus is approached by a wealthy man who asks him, what would it take for him to find eternal life? At first, Jesus tells him to keep God's commandment. After that, he said, I done everything. I did all of that. And then Matthew says in Matthew 19, Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I don't know about y'all, Okay, but I'm I'm be balling on a budget. <laughs> if Jesus walked up to me and was like, "Hey, man, give everything away," right? It it'd be a struggle for me. Now, the great thing about this is this isn't what Jesus says to everybody. This was about Jesus addressing something that he knew the rich man was attached to. What God knows about me is that I'm not attached to money. I'm not a lover of money. God broke that thing in me. So I don't walk around trying to be like, well, look at my bank account and trying. I'm not driven by money. I don't chase after it. That has been broken in me. I'm more, I'm a generous giver. I want to see people better off. And so God knows you, you ain't got to highlight that. Now, if you ask me to stop putting my pride out there God now now we talk now we talking what Jason needs right now we talking about because God is coming to you to address those things that you are attached to more than him and this rich young man was attached to his money more than he was to God that's why he got called out on it so it ain't that's not what God is I know everybody like I'm oh God don't ask me to give up everything I got because I'm gonna have to walk away right quick no but but no, God is calling you to a place where you can be free. He knows that that thing might be holding you captive and whatever holds you captive keeps your heart from God. That's what God wants. That's the place God goes to, the heart of the matter. That's what God is always checking in on. Remember when David got chosen to be king, right? And Samuel was like, look how good he looked, God. Look at, look at him, isn't it? No, not him. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, well, look how good this one looks. Oh, no, not him. God, he's tall. He's six feet. He's strong. He be, no, not him. And then the dirty one comes in from the field, from scooping up the poop. And Samuel's like, surely not him. And God's like, oh, yeah, he perfect. Because I'm looking at the heart. Man's looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. God is always about addressing the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is God has called us to move from a life of captivity to a life of freedom. Here's what freedom is. A commitment to a life of surrender as a means to be released from the life of captivity you used to be a slave to. A commitment to a life of surrender as a means to be released from the life of captivity you used to be a slave to. Paul's life demonstrates a different spiritual prison, but spiritual captivity all the same. We read last week, we read this last week, but in Philippians 3, Paul shares the things he used to pride himself on. Philippians 3, 5 through 6. I was crucified. I am circumcised at eight days old. I'm a pure but a citizen of Israel. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. Like, y'all hear Paul? Let me say it in Jason's voice. Look, I was circumcised as eight years old. <laughs> I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. That's my Jason voice. Okay, back to being a preacher. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. That's what Paul's saying. I'm a bad man, right? He's puffing his chest up. Paul's spiritual prison was his own religious piety. piety. The, the pride he took in his religious pedigree, his greater level of accomplishment and passion than other people. But this is how Jesus steps in and exposes his own prison. Acts 9, 1 through 5, it says, Meanwhile, Saul, the same guy, Paul, Saul was just his Jewish name and Paul was his Roman name. So when he wrote the Philippians, he went by Paul. He was uttering threats under every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters to address the synagogue in Damascus, asking for the cooperation to arrest any of the followers of the way. The way was the what they called Christians back in the day, the, the way people, right? Okay, now we're called Christians because we follow Jesus, right? Okay, and, and he, he wanted them all put in chains. He said, yo, let me take them all, men and women, put them in chains, bring them back to Jerusalem. As he was pro the, approaching Damascus on a mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down on him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Paul is on his way to aggressively arrest men and women and put them in chains for believing something different than he and then God says to him that he's doing, he knocks him off his horse and says, you're persecuting me. Paul's own religious zealousness led him to persecute, led him to persecute the very God that he claimed to believe in. But unlike the rich young ruler, Paul chose freedom from his prison. He chose Jesus. Philippians 3, 7 through 8. I once thought these things were of value. Look at the shift. He went from, man, I once thought these things was valuable. <laughs> it's like a, this, like an older person schooling a young person. 
Yeah, I used to think like that. <laughs> I was me once. You'll learn. You'll learn. No, no. Sometimes experience is the best teacher, you know? Like, we get smoother as oh, Maybe y'all don't, but <laughs> I get smoother as I get older. I think. Like, fine, why? No. So he said, he said, but now I consider them worthless for what Christ has done. Yo, that is a major shift. Has that happened in your life where you had so much value on something else and you get into the Lord and the value on that is greatly decreased and diminished because of what you experience in the Lord? Huh? There is nothing that so grabs the heart and soul like the love of Jesus. When I can sit at the kitchen table eating my tuna fish and kettle chips with a cold glass of Simply OJ, I'm testifying, hallelujah, Simply OJ, and just the spirit of the Lord move up on my soul right then and there. That's a good God. Amen. Right in the midst of my next bite. Lord, what are you doing? That's just beautiful. He said, yes, everything else is worthless compared to this infinite value of knowing Christ as my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. It's time to start come calling some things that are valuable in your life garbage for the gain of Christ. Amen. Woo! That's so good. Another person is set free. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me, let me just make sure I got it. I'm about to be done. Another person set free by the person of Jesus was Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was a tax collector. I'm going to speed up my pace a little bit because I'm loving this message. But, but you probably don't like him because he's a tax collector already. But let me explain. He was going from house to house, taking more than he should have because if you took more than you should as a tax collector, you would make more money off the top. You paid them and then you got to keep whatever else. So he was skimming everybody else. Now, Zacchaeus is in a position where he sees Jesus coming along, but he's mad short. So he climbs up a tree to see Jesus and he's like, hey, G let me see him. And now that's weird, right? Because this is a, a short dude climbing a tree in an expensive road, but he's running to see Jesus. Now, G Zacchaeus is used to people getting out of his way and being fearful of him. But when Jesus sees him up in the tree, Jesus calls out to him. Yo, Zacchaeus, this is my Jason saying it. Yo, Zacchaeus, uh, I'm going to eat dinner at your house tonight. Let's go. And so Zacchaeus comes out of the tree like, what in the world? Okay, let's have dinner, all right? So they go to his house, and, and, and people are looking at this like, what in the world is happening? Jesus is messing with this tax collector who's taking all of our money. Jesus, you're supposed to deal with people like this, but we don't know what happens in the midst of that. But all I know is that at the end of it, Zacchaeus says to Jesus, I will give half my money to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus's response sums up his entire mission. Luke 19, 9 through 13, Jesus responded, salvation has come home to your home today. For this man has showed himself to be a true son of Abraham. 
for the Son of Man hath come to seek and save those who are lost. Here's what I want you to know. God is inviting us to step over the line. What does that mean? It means that God is inviting us to live a life where you choose to live according to God's standard, committing to take a posture of surrender and obedience to God's good will for your life. The same Jesus that rescued, Jesus, that rescued humanity from slavery to offer offered freedom to the rich young ruler, led Paul to break free from his bondage of pride and ego and freed Zacchaeus from his prison of power. Jesus' birth didn't represent a line in history, but a line that you can cross today. And you have a choice. We all have a choice on a regular basis. And it's actually because God is so loving. God is so good that he's given everyone a choice. You can stay in slavery to sin, living in a disobedience to God, having relationships constantly affected by selfishness, or you can step into freedom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you're doing in this place. We're praying, God, that you will continue to move hearts in the direction of freedom. We know that captivity is a strong hiding place. It's a place that we are used to. It's a place that we know and we're familiar with. But we're praying, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit deep into the crevices of our captive places, that we might be free to know you more, that we might be free to experience your love more. God, we ask that you would have your way in this place. I pray that anyone that feels that they are valuing things more them your love that you would teach them to call it garbage today to move from a place of captivity into a place of freedom i pray and ask these things in jesus name amen